0: Well, this pandemic has made corporate worship interesting, hasn't it? And we have been trying to walk through it as a church, step by step, trusting in the Lord. And so some of you are right here in this room with me. Some of you are joining us online. And one of the joys for a pastor has been seeing the body start to get together again, whether in the building or outside the building. And so I want to encourage you, if you're joining us online, if it's healthy for you to do so and safe for you to do so, consider joining us. For one of our services inside the building or outside the building uh, it has been a joy and everyone who's here they they could say amen to this because they've experienced the corporate worship so uh, however you're joining us we're glad that you're with us this morning my name is mark i pastor the cedar lake campus of bethel and it's a joy to be able to be with you this morning uh to get into god's word and to just see what he has for us so i'm going to ask you to turn to ruth chapter one ruth chapter one in the old testament The eighth book of the Old Testament, okay? So we're going to go back to the Old Testament. We've maybe been in the Old Testament for a little bit like this. So find the eighth book of the Old Testament. It is the book of Ruth. We're going to be there in a second. I have brought with me a lollipop from one of our good old Cedar Lake stores called La Gaviota. And I picked this up this week. It's called Vero Mango. Some of you may have had one of these before. I had these in Mexico in 2015. I'm not gonna lie, it was hard for me to eat. I brought it with me, and I'm going to uh, uh, just taste it this morning. So uh, if you're online, I don't know if you can see this or not, but um, the thing about these, uh, these lollipops is that they are chili pepper on the outside, mango on the inside. Kind of confounding for a boy like me as I tried them. I was not sure what to do with it, but you take the, you know, you take the first uh, taste, Mm, okay, just as um, powerful as I remember. <laughs> it's chili pepper, and as you go through the lollipop, you eventually, if, you're, if you have enough dedication, or if you cheat and bite from the middle like that, there's this mango center that's really sweet. But man, does it take a while to get there. And some of us never actually make it there because I've got to eat this now way too big of a bite. Like every Food Network show, did I not learn anything? Some of us never make it to the center because we're so consumed with the bitterness and the sourness of that. I'm not used to chili pepper on fruit stuff, but that's what you experience with this. And here's the thing. It's a confounding lollipop for me, but it's actually a pretty good illustration for life. Think about this, life sometimes, the bitterness of it hides the sweetness. Sometimes life is so difficult, so difficult, that we actually forget about the sweetness of God's love, that God actually does love us. And so we're gonna see in the book of Ruth here that this is the exact situation that our characters in the book of Ruth are experiencing. Life has gotten bitter, it's difficult. Ruth comes right after the book of Judges, you see that if you have your Bible open, right? And if you know anything about the book of Judges, we have a very interesting period of Israel's history. And in fact, the events of Ruth actually occurred during the era of the Judges. And so that's why it comes in our Bible right after Judges. But if you've ever studied Judges, you know there's this cycle going on, right? The cycle of the people disobeying, them getting oppressed by another neighboring country because God allows that, he brings it in. And then they cry out and they ask for God's mercy. And so God sends a judge and then that judge actually delivers and then the cycle happens all over again, right? Again and again, and really it's, it's less of a cycle and it's more of a downward spiral. This is a dark era, a dark epic in Israel's history. Now, during this time, Judah is experiencing spiritual, social, political unrest. Add to that a famine. These are tumultuous times. So if you substitute a pandemic for a famine, Doesn't sound that different from 2020, does it? (laughs) All signs point to 2020 going into history books as a bitter year. One of my daughters graduates in 2020. Um, you know, she's starting her senior year in 2020. Actually, I guess she graduates 2021. She thought it was going to be a great senior year. It's going to be interesting. All of us are feeling the unrest in our world, right? That's happening. But then I know some that are in our church right now, maybe some in this room maybe somebody who's joining us online, not only are you weathering a pandemic, you're also dealing with other life situations, difficult life situations, job loss, perhaps your marriage is coming unraveling, you have cancer. These are things that compound the situation. So not only are you dealing with the difficulty that everyone's dealing with, one by one you find your, your supports of life being knocked out and you find yourself immersed in life's bitterness, And so you gather with us this morning and you feel that. The word of God offers hope and stability today because this book of Ruth, amidst the unrest, amidst the chaos, what we have is this, this beautiful, beautiful story that emerges and the sweetness of God's love We're only gonna have time to look at the first chapter. So I wanna encourage you later today, this week, read the rest of Ruth. Go ahead and take the time to read the narrative you've never had before. But let's look at Ruth one, one through five. So read with me here, follow along. This is what God's word says in Ruth one, starting in verse one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons. And her husband so during the time when the judges ruled there's this famine in Judah and this family decides to relocate to Moab so they're refugees there and then their situation goes from bad to worse and these first five verses they're written in like staccato fashion where these devastations come flying in like bullets in fact we might read it so quickly that we may miss the roller coaster of emotions here right so Elimelech the father he dies that's a huge blow. I mean, this is the provider. This is the, this is the stability. And remember, they're refugees, right? They lose the, the head of the household. And then two of these two sons, they find Moabite women and they get married, and so, probably a little bit of happiness, they needed some happiness. But then both of this woman's sons pass away. And I tend to believe those losses are perhaps the most difficult for her. I want to read on, and I want to notice how the author, he fills the pages with dialogue. And dialogue is actually the predominant literary style of Ruth. In fact, 55 of the 86 verses in the book of Ruth record conversations. So let's look at it. Ruth 1, verse 6. And we're going to just read the rest of the chapter. This is God's word, right? Follow along with me. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. That's Naomi. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. to your people. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? Turn back my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? This is a Jewish practice where the closest of kin would marry the widow. No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Now, the dialogue in Ruth 1 is quite interesting. Some of it's really rational, and it's logical. And then towards the end of the chapter, it's very emotional. It's brimming with this raw emotion. Now, in verse 6 through 18, if you glance at that, Naomi is reasoning. She's she's reasoning that the famine has ended back in Judah. So the best thing for her is to return to Bethlehem. She also reasons that her daughter-in-law should stay in Moab. That's where they grew up. They figure, you know, she figures this is their motherland. This is their best chance of finding a husband and carving out a new life. Now, Orpah is convinced by this logic, but Ruth will not be dissuaded from going back with her mother-in-law. In In fact, her words are emotional. They're beautiful, aren't they? These are probably the most quoted uh, verses, most quoted words from Ruth, where she says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Naomi's words through verse 18 are driven by her logic, but her words in verse 19 through 21 are grief and her emotion. Now we can learn some things from Ruth one, because we all go through bitter life experiences. Right now, we're experiencing some bitterness, right? And I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I would imagine you are either right now going through something very bitter, you have, or you will. And so what can we learn from Ruth one? Three things. First, the bitterness of life Hides God's love. The bitterness of life hides God's love. For Naomi, Moab started out as sanctuary and ended up in catastrophe. And one by one, God strips Naomi of every stability, every refuge, every joy. And as we examine Naomi's words here, they're understandable, aren't they? I mean, she's lost. Everything, And she says much what, what Job says. Job in, verse, in chapter 27 says this. As God lives, who has taken away my right and the Almighty, who has made my soul bitter, he says. So Naomi and Job both say life has become bitter. And yet, it seems that Naomi has allowed this bitterness of life to shade her view of God. We don't see that with Job as much. But with Naomi... She says some things about God that are 100% correct. And then she says some things that are a little skewed. She correctly concludes that God is sovereign over everything, even the bitter events of life. She believes that, she says that, and she's right about that. God's word says that. But Naomi, Naomi is only seeing God's sovereignty. She's only seeing his control. She's not able to see his goodness. She's not able to see his kindness towards her right now. Verse 13, she says, The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Verse 20, she says, The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And verse 21, she says all this. She says, The Lord has brought me back empty. He's taken everything from me, right? The Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So all she can see is this bitterness, this God has done this to me. Naomi wrongly states that God is against her. God is against those who reject him and those who reject his son, Jesus Christ. This is what God's word says. But for God's children, he is never against them. He's never against them. He's doing something. And what will unfold in the book of Ruth, and if you've never read it, you've got to read it today. Okay, it's a short book. What will unfold is that God is always for his people, using even the bitterness of life for our good and his glory. Much like Romans 8 that we studied recently, right? But the bitterness of life hides God's love. Just because it hides God's love does not mean God's love isn't there. It's still there. Just like there is, I assure you, mango in the middle of this lollipop. It's hidden by some pretty spicy pepper. And sometimes all we're getting is the the bitterness. We're not getting the sweetness. But be assured, believer, God's love, God's faithful covenant love is always there, even if we can't see it, even if we can't appreciate it in that moment. God in his providence is doing many things that we can't see. We can't see it, but he's doing something. Yes, he brought famine into Judah. He knew that this family would relocate. They would become refugees. Yes, even the deaths of these men are part of his plan. And it often feels like God is working against us, right? Like Naomi, you say, is God against me? Is he stiff-arming me? Is he against me right now? Because it sure seems like it. For the believer, Romans 8 actually says it best. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then later in the chapter, for those who love God, all things work together for good. And as we saw in Romans 8, that is God's definition of good, not our definition of good, right? I wish it was my definition of good. But then again, I don't, right? (laughs) Because my definition of good would be more pleasant at the moment But God is seeing something eternal, something I can't see. God's love defies logic. And this is one of the things we see is that we would not logically structure life this way, but God does what he does because he loves us. And this is why Naomi has such a hard time seeing God's love, because it's not that logical. It takes Ruth's illogical love where she stays with her to let her see God's love and be reminded of his steadfast love. Did you notice that Naomi even gives herself a pseudonym, right? They try to call her Naomi and she says, no, no, no. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. She logically thinks about her name and she basically says, my name means pleasant. Yeah, right. You know, yeah, right, that is not my life. My life has not been pleasant, change my name. Call me Mara, call me bitter. And if only she would have paused to remember her nation's history, her people, and how they they crossed that Red Sea and they came to a place where they were so thirsty and they wanted water. But when they went to drink the water, it was totally bitter. They called it Mara. They called the place Mara. But do you remember what happened? God commands a, a stick to be thrown in and the water turns sweet. See, God can do that. God can take that bitterness and he can turn it sweet. Had she remembered that, maybe she would have thought, God can do that with my life. He can take all of this bitterness and he can make it sweet. Indeed, he will. That's exactly what he's going to do. But before we are too hard on Naomi, let's be a little gracious because God certainly was gracious with her. Think about this. She's lost her husband. She's lost both of her sons, and and one thing I just want to point out and remember is it's okay to bring complaints to God. It's okay, the Psalms are full of them. That's called lament. God invites us to lament and talk to him and say, God, I don't know what to do. Life is bitter, life is hard. What are you doing, God? This is okay, it's okay to bring complaints to God. He invites us to do so. In fact, God understands our pain. Every pain that God allows, every tear, that he ordains, is matched by his incredible love for us. A love that took him through hell to make a way for us. Like Naomi, we experience bitterness. You, I, we experience bitterness. But I want you to think about this. Christ was emptied and poured out on the cross, drinking the bitter cup of our sin, the bitter cup of death, so that we might share in sweet salvation. You wanna talk about bitter turned sweet? We just sang about it, right? This theme of the gospel and the very center of the gospel, nothing could be more bitter than the suffering of Jesus Christ. And yet three days later, he bursts out of that tomb. And what could be more sweet than Jesus' resurrection? So you have bitter turned sweet. The very center of our gospel, the very center of what we believe as Christians, the gospel is greater than logic. The gospel has this beauty from the ashes, this X factor, as you read through the book of Ruth, indeed the entire Bible, this X factor of God's steadfast, marvelous love for us all along the way, taking bitter and turning it sweet. It, always, it can't always be seen. But it's there, and God's steadfast love is working. It reminds me of what William Cowper wrote in the 1700s. He wrote this God moves in a mysterious way. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. The bitterness of life can can hide God's love, and it does all the time. I want you to also see from Ruth 1 that the bitterness of life leads us to a crossroads. The bitterness of life leads us to a crossroads. So no doubt about it, Naomi, Ruth, And Orpah find themselves at a crossroads in Ruth 1. And if you look at your text, you know, they're trying to decide what to do. Do they go back to Judah? Do they stay in their their motherland? Sometimes we find ourselves at a bend in the journey where we never thought we would have been. And sometimes it seems like life chooses the path for us. We wouldn't have chosen that. Or more accurately, there is one, someone who's choosing that path for us. And sometimes life is so bitter that we'll never be the same. We will never be the same. Things change us, especially I've seen this grief. The grief that Naomi and her daughters uh, experienced, it changes you. When my little brother was 23 we lost him, he, he drowned. And that was about eight years ago or so, seven years ago. I was changed through that. Like I remember going through it and thinking, I'm not gonna be the same person. I was a little bit more sober-minded. Like, I just, I just changed, right? In life's crucible, we are changed for the, for the good, for the better, or for the worse. In Ruth 1, there is something really peculiar about this word return. And if you underline words and you care to do so, you can just scan chapter 1. And this word return is used 11 times, okay? The word return. And it's not always in English, return. But this word is used 11 times. Now, the Holy Spirit's not willy-nilly about this, the words that he puts in Scripture, Right? There's a reason, so why? Why would God keep using this word return? Well, six times it speaks of Naomi and Ruth returning back to Judah, and five times it speaks of Orpah or Ruth returning back to Moab, like the choices that are there. And this is the same word that's used when the people of Israel are told to return to the promised land after the exile, and they're allowed to go back, and yet most of them, many of them, if not most of them, never did go back. They stayed where they were comfortable. They stayed where it seemed more prosperous. It's the same word used when the children of Israel say they want to return to Egypt. It gets hard in the wilderness and they want to go back. They want to return to Egypt. So is this any correlation? I believe there is. I believe what we have here is three women at a crossroads. What are they going to do? Which direction are they going to go? So we have Naomi. And first with Naomi, we have somebody who is returning to God. She's returning to to God. She's finally returning. Now, I don't think Naomi's re- repentance is quite complete yet. I think she's working her, her way there. God is getting her there. But she's finally returning to God. It seems that their family has wandered. When they left Judah many years ago, 10 years ago, was that disobedience? Was that lack of faith? Possibly, probably. In Scripture, usually, there's this idea that the grass seems greener over there. We could stay with God's people or we could go where we think it's better. They go away. And then we have her sons intermarrying with these Moabite women, not what God told them to do when he speaks to his people. And so we have this, you know, wandering from God. Now that's not different than anyone else in this era, right? It's the judges. (laughs) In fact, the famine is probably because they're in disobedience as a people. But here's the really good news. Even in our wandering, God is faithful. Even in our wandering, God is faithful. Now this is really hard for Naomi to see, she can't necessarily see it right now. From her vantage point, what does she say? She says, God is against me. God is against me. Here's one thing I want you to remember. Sometimes it seems like God is stiff-arming us. He's reaching to pull us close. So for the believer, for the, for the child of God, it seems like God is stiff-arming you. And in reality, he's reaching and he's pulling us close. But man, from our perspective, it sure seems like he is against us. We we feel like he is stiff-arming us. Now, whether Naomi realizes it or not, her return to Judah is God bringing her back to himself. God is doing this. He's bringing her back. She thinks she's making a decision, but God is actually bringing her back. Do you this morning need to be reminded of God's covenant love? Do you need to be reminded that God loves you? that he still will work in you, even if you've been away from him, even if you haven't talked to him in a long time, even if you haven't gone to church and you you don't feel like you're close to him, but you know you're his child, you know you've trusted in Jesus Christ, do you need to hear about God's covenant love that he's actually this morning, right now, pulling you back to himself? Is God calling you home, believer? That, That journey begins with one step. It begins with one step saying, God, I'm coming home. Remember the prodigal son. Okay, that's Naomi. She's one of God's people. But what about these outsiders, Ruth, right? And Orpah, they're Moabites. Ruth and Orpah have two choices. They can turn back to their former lives without Yahweh, without this God, or they can carry on with Naomi and trust in this God. So we have Orpah who turns back to Moab, right? She applies the same logic that Naomi used 10 years ago. Like, hey, the grass is greener here. I'm going to stay here. And we can't really blame her. I mean, she does what is logical. And she listens to her (laughs) mother-in-law. And she does that. But I can't wonder if she missed out on a relationship with this covenant God because she sought what was comfortable and what she knew. And then we have Ruth. We have Ruth who's turning to God, right? Her faith is fledgling. You know, she, she doesn't have her theology all worked out yet. But I'll tell you what, I think Ruth's theology is better than many quote unquote Christians that I've met. Because what does she understand? She understands what Jesus said. If any man wants to come after me, he needs to to give up his life. He needs to take up his cross and give it all up. Ruth gets that. She at least gets that. She she knows not a lot, but she knows this is a God I'm going to follow and I'm going to trust in him. Can you identify with Ruth today? Maybe you sense that God has been using the bitterness of your life, the pandemic, whatever else is going on, God is bringing you to himself. Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord. You've never repented from your sins. Maybe you've been watching our our services online. Maybe you're here this morning in this room, but you're sensing that God is breaking you down and he's causing you to say, God, I surrender. I follow you, Jesus, whatever. You've got me to a place. Life is so bitter. I need you. Could it be that God is using the coronavirus to save your soul? God wants you to, to have a home. Will you come home Today. You can even do that right now or after you watch this. You can go to Bethelweb.org respond and you can say, I just want to talk to a pastor. I think maybe God is using all of this bitterness in life to bring me to a point of salvation. Please do that. Go on there, Bethelweb.org respond. Send us a message. We would love to just talk with you. Lastly this morning, I want you to see that the bitterness of life gives way to the sweetness of God's love. There's an old adage, things are always darkest just before dawn. And I don't know if that's scientifically true. I don't really know. But it sure seems that way, right? Sometimes it feels like life, it's it's just darkest right before the light breaks through. And this is true in the book of Ruth. Even in chapter one, the brilliance of God's love starts to break in. And we have this first instance of a word that is very important in the Old Testament. And it's a word for love. And it's this word chesed. It means mercy, mercy. Uh, It means love, covenant love, steadfast love. It's a beautiful word. And we have it appear in chapter one, and it continues to appear throughout the book. And the book of Ruth showcases God's faithful covenant love, which is unseen at first, but then it starts to be seen. And how is it seen? It's seen through ordinary people like you and I. It's seen through the, the love and the faithfulness that comes through these people, flesh and blood, and here's the reality, particularly particularly during our darkest days. Sometimes God's love is made manifest through a human being. Jesus with skin on, right? We experience God's tender love and his mercy to us through a person. It was super hard for Naomi to see God's love. She couldn't see it, but where does she see it? She starts to see it in Ruth. She starts to experience it through another human being. I love the way that John Piper summarized Naomi and Ruth's interaction in chapter one. He says this. He says, Naomi painted the future black and Ruth took her hand and walked into it with her. I think that is beautiful, right? Naomi paints it black. She says, life is bitter. God is against me. And then Ruth takes her hand and says, I'll walk in it with you. I'll go go right into the darkness with you. And so Ruth shows Naomi kindness, this chesed, and this is a shadow of the covenant love of God. God is loving Naomi through Ruth, and God is loving Ruth through Naomi. But here we have this Gentile who's modeling sacrificial God-like love, and later in the book we'll see Boaz. Boaz, he, he illustrates this covenant love in technicolor. Now, despite the pain that Ruth is experiencing, she commits herself to walk with Naomi into the darkness, all the way to death and beyond, right? She says, I'll be buried with you. There's no greater commitment than what she gives Naomi. I, I ask you this, what if God is taking you or us through the ringer in order to bring a believer closer to God? What if right now God is allowing you to suffer and you to be in relationship with somebody who's suffering during this time, to convince somebody that God's covenant love still remains, even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of bitterness. Through our kindness to others, we may accomplish more than we realize. We could actually be dispensing the very chesed of God, the very steadfast covenant love of God. Think about that, believer. Maybe God right now is using you in somebody else's life. I remember uh, going through my brother's memorial service and it was hard. I remember looking out at that packed auditorium. And I remember seeing people that just enveloped me. Like seeing their face, seeing their tears, seeing them experiencing their hugs was so impactful. To see a bunch of teenagers who I ministered to, now ministering to me. To see uh, one of my pastor friends there, all my youth pastor friends showing up and, and walking into that darkness with me. I remember one, one friend I had who lost his brother in his 20s. He didn't say anything. He came up to me and he gave me a hug and he looked at me and he walked away and he didn't have to say anything. If anyone could have said something, he could have said something. He could have said, I get it, man. He didn't say that and I just knew he was there for me. And you could be doing that for somebody during this pandemic, during whatever is going on in their life. Is God calling you right now to take someone's hand and walk into the dark? How about this one? What if God is taking you or us through the ringer to lead a lost person to Jesus? Would the pandemic be worth it? I think it'd be worth it, right? If God's gonna use you in the midst of this difficulty to bring somebody to Jesus Christ, how amazing would that be? And we see it happening. We see people trusting in Christ even during this crazy time. In fact, because of this crazy time, God is, God is stirring hearts. And that's how God used Naomi you know, Ruth didn't grow up knowing this, this Yahweh. She, she didn't know him as a God. She didn't grow up in, in the ways of Israel. And yet in her mother-in-law, she saw faith. She saw something that, that attracted her. So for all the mother-in-law jokes out there, here we have a mother-in-law who's loved, who is actually such a blessing to her daughter-in-law. And she, she, she ministers to Ruth. Now, I think most of this came before this chapter, before these events. Because if you look at her words, they're not a ringing endorsement of following Yahweh. Like I'm, I'm surprised Ruth still wants to do it. But I have to believe that her lifestyle has been won, even in the midst of their family, you know, being a little far from God, she had this faith in her. And I, I believe that because Ruth decides to follow her as she follows God. So I believe it was Naomi's past faith that attracted Ruth. I'm so glad too, by the way, that God doesn't, he's not dependent on every one of of the opportunities that he gives us and us doing them correctly. Like we mess up some missional moments sometimes. And I feel like Naomi messes this up because Naomi could have said to Ruth, you know what? Come back to the land that I'm from. You can follow our God. He can be your God. She doesn't say that. She says, just go back to your home. My life's bitter. God's against me. And yet God still saves Ruth. (laughs) Ruth. And I'm just so thankful that God does that. He does that all the time. And you and I are often very nervous. Am I going to say the wrong thing? Am I going to mess it up? You know what? You just live out your faith and God will use you, believer, in the life of an unbeliever. So maybe God is using this pandemic, using your trial, your suffering right now in order to bring somebody to Jesus Christ. Could it be that your suffering is going to show people that God is still good? That God is still good, even in the midst of whatever you're going through, he's still good. And we have a man at our campus right now, Tim Maxwell, he's going through a struggle with brain cancer. And to see him come to the service, uh, an outdoor service a few weeks ago, and the smile on his face just to be with God's people and to worship. But he is going through the ringer right now. Forget about the pandemic. He's like, I'm not sure how long I'm going to be around here. And one of the things he told me was, you know, I think God is using me as I talk to the nurses, as I talk to different people. God's using me to show them I still have joy. And I'll tell you what, I wish that every unbeliever that that Tim interacted with could come to our service and see him right there smiling and worshiping God, even though his body is not doing very well. Wouldn't that be a testimony of, of, of our great God and his covenant love? And believer, God may want to use you in this very way. You're suffering right now, yes. And I don't know what it is that you're suffering with, but maybe Maybe God is gonna bring something sweet out of it. Maybe he's gonna use you to share the covenant love of God with an unbeliever. Because if you can walk through what you're going through and still praise Jesus' name, that's a God that's worthy to follow. That's That's a savior who's worthy to sing about and to give our lives to. There are no accidents. None of this that's happening right now is outside of God's hand. And Naomi was correct in that God sovereignly orchestrates this stuff. But what she couldn't see yet was that he has a sweet covenant love and he's gonna turn that bitterness to sweet for all those that trust in Jesus Christ.